Well, good evening, Mosaic. Hey, I am so grateful we get to worship together tonight. Would you stand with us? And as we start this first song, would you just look around to somebody around you and just say hi? I'm so glad you're here tonight.
have a seat and we'll welcome Mr. Matt Natzel up onto the stage. I think I turned it on. Did I turn it on? I did turn it on. Well, hello. I'm Natzel. I work with the kiddos here. It's promotion night, so a bunch of them are moving buildings and classrooms, and so it's been a little chaotic out there, but I'm glad to be in here with you now. I have a lot of announcements, so I just want to first say welcome if this is your first time. An easy way to let us know that you're here is just come ask for a hello in the info booth out in the foyer, but if you really want to know and and kind of get on our radar for us to help get you in all the rhythms of what happens around here, uh, either texting the number up here or visiting the website and, and filling out the I'm new form is a good way for us to get all, as many of the questions answered at one time as possible. Now, uh, because I'm about to cover way too much information for any single person to take in in three minutes' time, I'm just going to point out some high things, and then I'm going to tell you over and over and over again, go to the website, fellowshipmosaic.org. On the front page, there's a card for every single one of the things we're about to cover. But let's get into it. First slide. Reengage is launching this fall again. Uh, my group went through it this spring, an incredible ministry, very helpful. It's a, a marriage enrichment ministry. It's for all marriages, so ones that are struggling to get along, ones that grow or want, just want to grow closer as a couple. That's the first opportunity. Second is discover. So if you're brand new and you're, or you've been here a while and you've just never done it and you're, you're looking for a six-week small group experience that helps you on-ramp to Mosaic. Uh, the third is Panorama. It is a training center class that gives you a panoramic overview of the whole Bible. And again, all of those, fellowshipmosaic.org. Next batch of announcements, students. Right out of the gate, uh, the fall retreat signups close tomorrow. So if your students haven't already signed up, 6th through 12th graders next weekend are going on a retreat. Got to get them signed up by tomorrow. Got it? Next is cell groups. They launch in September. This is the student small groups. What you need to know about that is that the, they, they need to sign up for those. Again, that's on the website, fellowshipmosaic.org. We're, we're doing well. Keeping it going. Women in the room, Mosaic women. We got a fall kickoff on the 27th. So that's going to be a good time. It's uh, the 27th. It's back in the lodge. You're going to get all the answers to all the questions you might have about all the opportunities. But if you just want to go, kind of go explore and figure those out or maybe even get signed up already, there are classes for the whole fall. There's classes for sage women. There's classes for any age woman. There's morning and evening classes, lunchtime. It, there's just lots of choices. So figure out what works for you. You're going to want to go to 
fellowshipmosaic.org. Got it? Good. We're moving along to back to school. Uh, that's this weekend for a lot of you. You start Monday if you got kids in the room. Um, so uh, we just wanted to next Saturday night during second hour, give a big thanks to teachers and, and anybody kind of working with school districts or education. Uh, sign up on the website, again, fellowshipmosaic.org so that we have food for you. Uh, before we move into the final kind of announcement time, I-, I wanted to just pause for a second with us all here together and acknowledge that the kickoff of school is sometimes a like a jittery, stressful time for people. And so I, I just wanted, there's kind of four people, four groups of people listed up there, students, teachers, families or parents, and admin or support staff. Just pick one of those for the next few seconds, and we're gonna pray for one of those groups together. So just kind of a moment to pray for them in silence together. May it be so, Lord. Amen. And then finally, I just wanted to point at the Serve Together slides. We've been hitting them over and over again, and you'll see that some of the numbers are changing, and I'm very grateful for that, so thank you for that. Uh, There are still some needs we have out in front of us. You can see students, they're launching cell groups in September, so there's still some things needed there. I can tell you that the uh, preschool numbers have changed a little bit. Uh, We had a couple students volunteer to cover some of those needs. Uh, The toddler and infant teachers, we had some people sign up, but we also had some people roll off the schedule, so we're at net neutral, so we could use some more there. We're trying to open one more class because the classes are just kind of full. People keep having babies, and they keep growing up, and that just seems to be how the whole thing works. So we kind of need, if if there were two couples that would commit to serve twice a month, that's two two people twice a month, that would actually knock out all eight slots. We need eight people, two, two a week for four weeks. Anyway. So if you, there was a couple that said, I could take it for two, month, two weeks of the month, that'd be awesome. All right. And uh, the second batch of them is the, uh, the tech and worship needs. That's all of the things that happen in this campus on this night just for this service to happen. So all of the little moving parts and pieces, there's stuff that you never see and there's stuff that you see very up front in front of you right now. And so uh, these are needs to fill as well. So I just wanna again say thank you for those who have stepped up and covered some of the needs. And, uh, and if you have not, I would just ask you to consider, is there a space that you could fill a need? And with that said, I just have full faith that God is gonna provide what we need because he has done that over and over and over and over again at Mosaic. And it's just one of those things that we recognize constantly. And so kind of in light of God's constant generosity with us, I wanted to pray our offering prayer together tonight. So would you pray this prayer with me? Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we could give could match your great gifts to us, your son and your spirit. Amen.
How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night and through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living.
has lost his grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are. I can claim with confidence that although I am broken, I matter to you. And God, I give you glory for that truth. Thank you that every single one of us in here matters to you. Just like you say in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? What a gift, what a blessing. The God of this universe looks at us and doesn't give us wrath but grace. May you open our eyes to that tonight. Hey, I want to do something real quick. So uh, this summer with our rhythm series, one of our rhythms we talked through was meditation. Just the simple practice of filling our minds with, a lot of times it's just a simple truth so easy to forget truth. Would you just real quick with me, this might feel familiar to you, it might feel strange, but would you just with me hold out your hands? If you're holding coffee, that's totally fine. One hand will do. Um, <laughs> uh, but would you just in your heart, I want to take a second. You can close your eyes, you can leave them open, whatever works best for you. Repeat this truth in your heart with me. Jesus, I matter to you. Would you just repeat that to yourself and to the Lord? Jesus, I matter to you. Take a moment to meditate on that. round me closes, I will hold to hope by faith, cause your love will never let me go, will never let me go, your goodness, your steadfast love. 
that never lets me go, never let me go. Your goodness is steadfast My name is Laura Joachims. I've been here at Mosaic for about 12 years now, all sorts of different capacities for service, but most recently working with the, the pink group of little kids, little first graders, precious, go check them out. Um, and I'm currently about halfway through a training program to be a global worker. Um, so you guys can be in prayer for that. Tonight, our scripture reading comes from Ephesians 2. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. So in case you didn't connect the dots, last week when Jason McMahon taught us about Mosaic Global and what God's doing in the nations and said that there are people within our body who've, who've raised their hands and say, I want to go, prepare me and send me. Laura's one of those people that we're, we're seeing prepared and prayed for, and um, I'm really thankful for her. I mean, we got to know each other 12 years ago when she first came here and was working with my wife in elementary ministry, and our my, my wife's baby daughter was playing on the floor, and Laura would play with her and was her best friend, and we've gotten to serve alongside her for a long time, so we're really thankful uh, for her ministry and what the Lord is doing in her life. Um, I'm really thankful for this season in our church every year to get to just take a pause and, and talk about where we're going, who we are, and what we're doing. There's this phenomenon I've heard about called the midlife crisis. Have y'all heard of this, this thing? Here's the way I hear it described. Essentially, you come into adult life and you just kind of hit the ground running in your 20s and you're trying to build something. You're trying to figure out how to survive and how to make adulthood work. And you just kind of grind it out through your 20s and your 30s. And then somewhere in your 40s, you realize, I have no idea why I'm doing this. And there's this panic that sets in about what is my life even about? Now, I, I think I actually have a leg up on this process because I have a midlife crisis about every three months and have my entire adult life. And my wife can attest to this because about every three months, I will come to her with a plan like, hey, what if? What if we became missionaries and moved to Southeast Asia and I actually have found property and started looking into the cost? And like, I'm like six months down the planning road and I bring it up to her for the first time. And she's had to learn like before the conversation even starts just to go like, hey, is this just kind of explore dream space? And I go, yeah. And she goes, okay, you just keep going. Tell me all about it. And she knows not to chase that too far. But I experienced this um, for us as a church too. About every few months, I will have this like panic inside. Like, are we doing anything that a church is supposed to be doing? Like, are we being faithful to Jesus at all? Or are we just like trying to keep programs going for the sake of keeping programs going and trying to build something big that's having no eternal impact? And so I, I don't think that's what we're doing, by the way. But I, I think this time every year is really important because it's a time to, to ask that question and to, to refocus on what we're about. Robert Cup, who planted fellowship almost 40 years ago now, he would say something to the staff quite regularly. He would say the purpose of your organization, anything you're a part of, but especially in a church, it's, it's a little bit like driving down the interstate going 70 miles an hour and having your hands off the wheel. 
you will drift away from your purpose into the ditch every time unless you are constantly correcting back to the center. There are so many things to distract, so many things to pull you away from your purpose that keeping your eye on what we're here for is a never-ending task. And so part of what we wanna do every August is go, what is that thing? What is the thing that God has called us to be and to do as a church? And so last week we got to hear from Jason and Ashish about the global purpose of the church and really what, where this congregation fits into what God's doing in the nations. And, and this week I wanna talk a little bit specifically about Fellowship Mosaic and, and really even begin with a little bit of a history lesson of how we got here. So, like I said, Fellowship was, was started 39 years ago in 1984, and uh, the, the real vision of Fellowship was driven around two big ideas. Um, one was the priesthood of the believer. Here's what that means. What if instead of a church existing to fund and support the ministry of a pastor, if the pastor existed to encourage and support the ministry of the body? What if it was the people who were supposed to own the mission of God and leadership's job was to encourage and equip those people to be spread out doing the work of God? The second thing was a radical commitment to life together in community, in homes, living life, not just on the weekend when we met for church, but throughout the week together. And that was kind of the vision of, of how it initially started and God blessed it and there was um, just a lot of really cool life change happening um, in the late 80s and early 90s. And they reached a point where the, the building that is now our family center right over there was just bursting at the seams and they were trying to figure out what to do. And one of the ideas that they considered was, well, just keep building bigger buildings. And that seemed like an okay idea, but they didn't really, the leadership didn't really like that idea. And they said, goodness, if we have a building, what if we used it up in all the space in a weekend? What if, what if instead of enlarging the building, we actually just used the space better? And so they had the idea, what if we had a Saturday night worship service? And so Robert and the team that was leading, they took that to the elders and said, hey, we wanna start a worship service on Saturday night because we think there's a, I'm already hearing my daughter makes fun of the way I say Saturday night because apparently it's a seventh thing that she doesn't do, my wife does. So I'm gonna keep saying Saturday night, it's okay. Saturday night, and they said, there's, there's a group of people that, that might not come on Sunday morning but perhaps they'll come on a Saturday. So they took it to the elders and the elders said, hey, that's, we like the idea, who's gonna lead it? And the team said, oh, we will, we'll be fine. They said, we'll come do services on Saturday night and then we'll go home and sleep and we'll turn it around and we'll do it again on Sunday morning. This is one of the things I love about the people that lead our church is the elders looked at their lead pastor and said, no, you're not allowed to do that. They said, we care too much about you and your family to let you do that. So they rejected the idea of a Saturday night service led by the team that was leading Sunday night. And they said, we'll launch a Saturday night service when we can bring on an entirely separate team to lead it so that y'all can stay healthy. And so there'll be deep relational connections so the people on Saturday night have a relational connection together and live life together and the Sunday morning team has a relational connection and live life together and we can do community and health the way it should be done, the way we feel like the Lord's leading us to do it. And then in 1998, that, that happened. That we were able to start two, we call them two congregations under one church. A Saturday night congregation that gathers together and worships together, a Sunday morning congregation, and now in recent years we've launched Fayetteville and Bentonville as well. But the vision was a, a space on Saturday night that could live out that original vision 
of radically embracing the idea that every member of the church is to own the mission of the church and living life together in close community while we pursue the true Jesus. And that was the birth of what was at, time, at the time called Fellowship Saturday Night. Fast forward a few years later, there was this conversation that was happening that just being known as the Saturday Night Church wasn't enough clarity around our, our identity. And so they started asking the question, like, how can we talk about the good news of Jesus in a way that's really uniquely Saturday night. And Saturday night, we tend to attract some quirky people, and so it became a very quirky congregation really quickly, which is why I fit here. And so they started having those conversations, and at the time it was Chip Jackson and Mark Schatzman were talking about it, and Mark said, Chip just said, hey, give me the most compelling vision for what a church could be. And he said, I think the most beautiful metaphor for church is a picture of a mosaic. And he said, because when you look at a mosaic, there's not a single perfect piece in a mosaic. Every single piece is a broken piece of glass. It's gone through some kind of trauma that broke it and shattered it. And at the same time, every single piece in that mosaic is essential to the overall picture. You see, every single one of those pieces matters, and when they come together, we don't pay attention to the individual pieces, we pay attention to the bigger picture. And he said, what a metaphor for the gospel to say that who we are as a church is a church made up of people who've been broken by sin. And yet, because of the incredible, gracious love of God, have discovered that we all matter. And that love was poured out on the cross to purchase us and bring us into this new community, this new people. And now, in the lives we live, we get to point to Jesus, the one who gets the glory from everything happening among us. And that became the way we talk about the gospel here at Fellowship Mosaic. As we took on that name, that's where the name Mosaic comes from, and what we live for. And so it's not that, that Mosaic in some way is, is different than the rest of fellowship. It's just our unique way of talking about it. Every family has a unique way of talking about things, right? Like we have nicknames and phrases we say in our house that if somebody asked where does that come from, we'd have to give a really weird meandering five minute story to just explain how we started using that very odd nickname, right? It's just the unique things that develop and that's the, the unique language that has developed in our congregation. So we exist to be a mosaic, to help people discover that even though they're broken, every single one of us is broken. So we're not shy about brokenness. Anytime, I mean, anytime we meet somebody and they hang their head to say, if you only knew what my life looked like, the answer is, yeah, if you only knew what my life looked like, join the club. We, we don't shy away from brokenness and pain and sin because we know it's everyone's story. And we say, and despite of all that, God loves you so much. We wanna encounter that love and be a part of something bigger. And so the way we measure here, if we are doing the things we ought to do, is when we hear those life change stories. When we hear stories of people who were broken and discovered that they mattered to God and are now are living for God's glory as a part of this church. That is the one thing that we have to chase after. And uh, so tonight, we're gonna take a look at Ephesians chapter two and just walk through a picture of what that story looks like. Because it's amazing to me as I read Ephesians chapter two to see how much that mosaic metaphor um, 
just fits so perfectly with what God's doing and what he has done in our lives through the gospel. When I say that word gospel, by the way, um, that's an old word that just means good news. It's the good news of Jesus, the good news that because Jesus died, he's setting things right in the world and in our lives. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to see just laid out the story that when Paul is writing to this church, this is just a, a, a normal church back in the first century, a church just like ours, a group of people that gathered together to try to be more like Jesus, and he's saying, hey, let me tell you what happened in your life. So he is telling them their story. So he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul's describing what brokenness looks like for every single person. Every single person comes from a place that he describes as being dead in sin. And so what does he mean to say that we are dead in sin? It's a, it's a metaphor. He's not talking to people who've actually physically died. He's describing what everyone's life is like before meeting Christ. And it is a metaphorical spiritual death because of, of sin. And sin is a word to describe what happens when people go against God. That we were made to follow, love, and honor God. And anytime we go against that, that's called sin. And he says, because of sin, we're dead. And he unpacks what to be dead in sin looks like. And he gives several different descriptions to get it from every different angle. Uh, the first he says is that you used to live in this way of life. That there's a kind of deadness in the way you lived. And the actual word there, um, the NIV translates the metaphor for us, but there's something really vivid in the metaphor. He actually says in which you used to walk. And a walk if you've not been around church circles, you'll figure out really quickly, we have like a, a kind of Christianese that we use, and we'll ask people like, how's your walk? Um, which is kind of funny, like we're not actually talking about their gait or if they need to have like physical therapy to get their walk better. It's a, it's a metaphor that comes from an ancient Jewish picture that you would describe someone's everyday life as their walk. Because the idea is your religion, your faith, isn't just the thing that you do when you go to worship. It is your everyday waking behavior. So they use this idea of the walk to say your love of God should translate to every single thing you do. And what Paul says is you used to walk, you used to live every single waking moment in sin and rebellion to God. That your, your walk, your behavior, instead of following Jesus, but instead of following God, you followed the ways of the world. You followed this movement in the world that was against God, and it says you actually follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, this is a concept that, that is taught throughout Scripture that might feel kind of weird to a lot of us, but it would actually say, like, these things we call the culture or the world, there's actually a spiritual force behind it. That, that Satan, who is God's enemy, is actually working against God in the world around us. And he said, hey, you used to just blindly walk in step with what Satan was doing in the world. You were disobedient, and then here's the kicker. He says, in verse three, all of us lived among them at that time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following his desires of thoughts, and we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
Not only are we dead in our behavior, we're also condemned to die because of our sin. And if we stop right there at verse three, this sounds like really bad news. Like he, he looks at us and says, every single human on earth has rebelled against God. Every single human on earth walks in bad behavior and every single human on earth deserves punishment from God. That's what it means to be broken. Now the other side of that story that he doesn't focus on in Ephesians but we see throughout scripture, Ephesians focuses on our responsibility but the other side of it is what is it like to live with people like that? Not only are we walking in evil ways but we're actually surrounded by people doing evil. So brokenness doesn't just mean our own responsibility but it also means that we're victims of other people's sins. Um, Fleming Rutledge is a woman who's a, a a priest and a leader in the Anglican church, and I have learned so much from her about the ministry of the cross. And one of the phrases she uses in her book, The Crucifixion of Christ, is she says, every single one of us is simultaneously the villain and the victim. Every single human is simultaneously the villain and the victim. We have both done evil and we've experienced and received evil. And the cross has to answer both. And that's the situation of brokenness we find ourselves in. And so the question is, what does God do about that? So we start off with this really heavy news that every single person is broken, every single one of us. And then in verse four, look at the shocking declaration right next to Paul saying, every single one of us deserves the wrath of God. In verse four, he says, but because of his great love for us. How in the world does that work? Paul has just made the case that every single human on earth deserves God's wrath, his anger, his punishment, but the good news is instead of wrath, God loves us. Instead of wanting to judge and condemn all these wicked people, it says, but instead, God loved these people. God loved you. And because of that love, because his great love toward us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And I love the grammar here because in, in Greek grammar, the, the way it actually happens is this, your, your translation cap, captures it with that little hyphen there. Paul just like blurts out in the middle of a sentence. He breaks his sentence off and yells, it's by grace you've been saved. He actually is gonna say that again in verse eight. It's almost like he couldn't hold it back two more verses. And so he's in the middle of talking about God making us alive and then he just blurts out, it's grace. And then he settles back into verse seven again. He said, look at the timeline here. When did God make us alive in him? While we were still dead in transgressions. Catch that. Our behavior did not change so that God would give us life. If our behavior had to get cleaned up and reworked before we could have life, none of us have a ch has a chance. Instead, what Paul said is it says he looks at every single broken person and has an incredible love for them. He's rich in mercy. Uh, mercy is that, that love and compassion you have for someone in a bad situation. Somehow, when he looks at this world, and all the devastation and the sin and brokenness, even though 
that justifiably would bring out nothing but anger and rage and condemnation. Instead, what it elicits from God is compassion. It elicits his love and his desire to not leave us dead in our sins, but instead to make us alive. And Paul looks at the church in Ephesus and said, that's what happened to you. Do you understand? You were transformed. You're not dead anymore. God made you alive by his grace. In verse six, it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Um, What Paul's doing is he's continuing this metaphor to describe what's happened in our hearts that will one day describe what will physically happen to us. Okay, so one day every one of us will physically die, but he describes us as spiritually dead now. And what Paul says is that God took our spiritual death and gave us new life. And not only did he give us new life, but he gave us a relational place with Christ on his throne in heaven. Now there's a day coming, we celebrate this every time we baptize someone, when we will physically die, be physically raised, and be physically with Christ. Paul says you can have that relational experience right now. In fact, everyone who's in Christ right now experiences new life and connection with Christ. And so this is the picture of every single one of us mattering to God. His love is poured out on us. And in verse seven, it gives the purpose. In order that, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You catch that? When is, Paul, when is Jesus going to show us his incomparable grace? In the coming age, in the future. God, it hasn't even begun yet. All of the grace and the mercy we experience from Jesus in this life is an appetizer. It is, a, it is just a sample taste of what's to come. Paul says that what God is up to is he wants us to spend the rest of eternity discovering just how gracious and loving Jesus is towards us. That all of eternity is gonna center on discovering how amazing God's love for us is. The purpose of all this story of taking dead people who deserve wrath, making them alive, is so that we can spend the rest of time and beyond that, discovering how amazing Jesus is. That's the picture of what happens when one gets the glory. And then in verse eight, he he summarizes the whole process. It's like he backs up again and he gives us a verse that that many people um, who've been in church a while may have memorized and heard before. He summarizes in verse eight, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This word grace, it's, it's the idea of somebody putting you in good standing with them even when you don't deserve it. It's being in someone's favor when you haven't earned it. It's a gift. And Paul says, your salvation, your being rescued from death is a gift from God and it comes to us through faith. Faith is what happens when we trust this one who is coming to save us. Everything up to this point has focused on God's work. Everything God does, here is the one little hinge that is on us. Not in the sense that it's on us that we have to accomplish it, but it does require a response we have to trust and receive. All this infinite, eternal love, mercy, and grace from God comes to us 
through this tiny little spirit-enabled work called trust. When you trust in the one who died and rose for you, the floodgates of God's love is unleashed in your life. He says, you've been saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself. It didn't come from you. None of this process came from your effort or your goodness or your right intentions. It is the gift of God. Not by works, not by anything you could do so that no one can boast. Do you see the transition here from all matter to God, but one gets the glory? There's this incredible love being poured out on us, but he reminds us, hey, you didn't do this, so you don't get any glory for it. All the incredible life change stories we hear, there's only one person who gets the glory for all that, and it's Jesus. None of us can take credit. It was all him. And then in verse 10, he turns again to the purpose, for we are his handiwork. The word is like, it means the thing that you did, the thing that you made. It's your product. It's, it's after you finish building something, like you finish building a new fence, you finish making a great meal, and you stand back and you say, I did that. Paul says, everything that's happening in our lives, all of the good that God's working, it's so that he can look back and say, I did that. We're his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't just save us to rescue us and let us sit in it. He actually prepared us to do something. Now, again, the translation loses this, but you know what word is used there? that it says the the good works he prepared for us to do? It's the word walk. The exact same word used at the beginning of the passage. There's this beautiful bookend to the whole thing. It says, you used to walk in trespasses and sin. God saved you so that you would walk in goodness. He saved you so that he could change you to do the things he made for you to do. For his glory. So, What is the one thing, what is the thing that we have to always course correct back to? We saw this happen in 2020 when churches couldn't meet and when everything felt so, I mean, everybody was reassessing, like, what's the point of church? Why do we even do this? The reason we do this is to see the love of God poured out on broken people so they can be transformed to experience his his grace and walk in the good things he made for them. So we measure success around here by by hearing these kinds of stories, by hearing mosaic stories, stories of people who realized they were broken and yet discovered that God loved them and that they mattered deeply to God. And through that love poured out on them, they get to experience something new and something different. And there's a story that's been going on in mosaic recently. It began in divorce care ministry we got a video telling that story, and then I'm, I'm going to pick it up and tell you where it continues today. So take a look. When I got divorced, it was like an earthquake for me. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't see it on the horizon. It just happened. And then there's the aftershocks of the earthquake, the things like um, financial worry that came after that, the emotions that I just didn't expect or know how to untangle, fear, uh, anxiety, betrayal, uh, hurt, anger. You tend to, to withdraw and some people jump into other relationships to try to 
ease the pain of a divorce. When you're married, you tend to be around your married friends for most of your life. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into this new way of living where it's not the Millers, it's just D. Divorce is such a turbulent time in your life and divorce care really grabs hold of you and eases things so that on the other end, there's a sense of calm. It was a life-changing experience for me because it was the very first step in becoming the person I think God wanted me to become all along. I was able to find people that had different stages that they were going through with their divorce. Um, some involved infidelity, some involved mental or physical abuse, but we were all there for each other and were able to help each other get through it. It got me going in the right direction when I, with, with my bundle of confused emotions, I could have gone off on a tangent that could have been self-destructive with substance abuse or who knows what. Uh, divorce care pointed me toward the light. Um, for me, I just really wanted to find out more about myself and my relationship with the Lord. And that's what divorce care brought to me, as well as friends that I will have for the rest of my life. And I, I, I knew, I think, from the moment I walked in and was received so warmly by everyone that, this, that I made the right decision. I just felt very welcome the moment I walked in. And um, this was after setting out in the parking lot on a cold January night, about to talk myself out of coming in. But I'm glad I had the courage to walk through the door. So that's where Russell's story started. In the brokenness of divorce, and because somebody else wanted to be a part of the good works that God had for them, they provided this divorce care. And so Russell starts beginning to heal from just having his life shattered through a divorce. And then, on top of that, he went through some heavy blows of grief and death and loss in his life. And, I mean, he is just getting pummeled by pain and grief. And then, one Saturday... After service is over, I'm walking out and I see Russ sitting alone in the back of the service, just frozen. Everybody else is milling about getting ready to go and he's just sitting there with his head in his hands. And I walk over and say, hey man, what's going on? And he's not able to say much other than, I'm just, I've never met him before at this point, so I'm just really hurting right now and I just need a place to be. And uh he and I got coffee a little while later and I said, hey, how did you find your way here? And he said, well, I've been in a pretty dark place. And a friend of mine named Brian Richard reached out to me. Brian's a core member of this body, a community group leader here. And he just, he asked how I was doing and he started caring for me. And he said, hey, why don't you come on Saturday night? And for weeks and even months, all Russell could do is just sit in the very back over there. He wasn't ready to be any, near anyone else. He just had to come and sit and listen and to begin to process his pain. And over the next several weeks and months, sitting in this room, he began to hear over and over again how much God loved him. And at one point, it was, it was a pretty huge, courageous, symbolic act. He said, hey, I think I'm ready to scoot forward and sit with some other people. 
I think God's leading me to start connecting with people again. And then about, about a year ago, we had a conversation similar to this about where are we going, what, what's the purpose of our church, and I bumped into him the next day on Sunday, and he said, hey, Nick, I want you to know something. I had been in a place that was so scary and lonely and dark, I can't even begin to express it. And he said, I've still got stuff that I'm dealing with. I'm still working through pain, and I'm still growing in the Lord, but I'm not where I was. I'm not hopeless anymore. And God did that through Brian Richard, through Mosaic, and through the people of here that are in this church. He poured his love out on me, and I'm not the man I was. And just recently I talked to him and he said that he's, he's jumped into a study just to be, continue to meet with some men and try to grow and be transformed in the man that God's made him to be. This is a man who, re, who was broken. And because other people had walked through their brokenness, discovered that God loved them, and they were walking the good works God prepared for them, they were able to share the love of Christ with Russell when he was in a vulnerable place. And now God is working and transforming Russell into the same, living for the glory of Jesus. That's a mosaic story. That's what we live for. Another man recently also just gone through a divorce and was in a really just dark and lonely place. And he came to his first birthday without his wife and he wasn't gonna have his kids with him. And he woke up that morning, member of our body, and he thought, this, is, this could be the first birthday of my life that no one realizes it's my birthday and I could walk through this day completely alone. But he had joined a men's group here at Mosaic to start trying to grow and heal. And someone in that men's group realized that it was his birthday, called other people and said, hey, let's go take him to lunch. And they took him out to lunch and celebrated him on his birthday and he discovered a new kind of family. And he experienced, he, he said that, that was a different kind of day for him because he felt the love of Jesus through those men who had chosen to step into his life and walk with him through his pain and brokenness. These are the stories we live for. This is the reason our church exists, is to help people discover just how much God loves them in their brokenness so that they can be a part of a family that lives for the glory of Christ. So what do we do with this? Hey, two things I want you to consider going forward. One, all of these stories happen because somebody who was in a place of brokenness was seen. Because Brian reached out to Russell. Because someone in a men's study called someone else on their birthday. Who in your life doesn't have a mosaic story yet? Who in your life is walking in brokenness and needs to hear that Jesus loves them? They can, that needs to discover that they matter to God. And what would it look like for you to take that first step? I wanna encourage you to begin praying about that and begin having eyes open. But the second thing I want us to do is consider what's your mosaic story? Have you taken time recently to tell God thank you? I wanna offer the challenge for everyone here to set aside 30 minutes this week, wherever you can find it, and just sit down with the Lord and rehearse with him when did you realize your brokenness? When did you discover what sin had done to your life, that you were both villain and victim? And how did God's love come into your life? How did you discover that you matter to him? 
Where have you seen that? And then what does it look like for you today to live for his glory? And have a personal time of worship just to celebrate what God has done in your life and tell him thank you. It is these stories that drive everything we do. We exist as a church to be a mosaic filled with people who've been broken and yet discover that they matter to God in the community of what he's doing and live for his glory. Lord, that's our desire. That's who we wanna be as a church. So let it be so. Lord, I pray uh, that, that, that we will have eyes open for the people in Rogers, in Springdale, Bentonville, Fayetteville, beyond all over Northwest Arkansas, the people who are broken and who might not realize they matter. Who might not realize that in spite of all that we've done and all that's been done to us, you have great love for sinners. Lord, would you help us to be a body where people know they're loved and we get to be transformed and changed to walk in the good deeds that you have prepared for us. And this is not from us, it's all from you so that we have no right to boast and all the glory goes to you. Praise things in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, yeah.
us and sing this truth together. We have to remind ourselves of what's true. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves to sing it out. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Would you, would you just reflect on the scripture that we've been reading tonight? Let's take a minute.
us and that I didn't have to do anything for that. And then as I continue to, to fail and struggle over and over again, your blood still covers me and that even though I am broken, I matter and you get the glory for that. So we thank you. And Mosaic, I thank you guys for being here. Our, our family and our friends that are in this home. I just wanted to say that we do have a prayer team. So um, they are typically in the back corners here. If you would like prayer and you just want to sit in one of these back um, rows, someone will come to you and pray with you. Um, we also have an info booth. So if you're new here, hi, we're so well excited that you're here. Welcome. Um, you're so welcome. But uh, <laughs> we would love for you to visit the info booth out in the, the middle of the foyer. There'll be somebody there that would love to answer any questions that you have or get you involved or whatever it is that you're you're looking for or needing um but hey will you say this with me as we go out together go in peace to love and serve the lord and the people said thanks, thanks be to god, god.